A little bit about me. I'm married, have been for, with my wife for about seven and a half years. Her name is Fallon. Yes, like Jimmy Fallon. Um, she's funnier than him, though. Um, she's amazing. She's my best friend. Um, she uh, knows me inside and out and chooses to love me still. And every single day, um, I love her more than I did the day before. And I tell you that not to get oohs and ahs, but I tell you that because so often you're told, find that person, look for that person, and I want to encourage you to be that person. Don't think about, oh, if I could just find that person. No, focus on becoming the person that God has called you to be. And that's, my wife and I, that was our journey, and then we found each other, and it was like, ah, yes! Um, And it's good. It's very good. Um, We have a little girl. Her name is Scarlett J., um, Scar, or Scar J. She's two and a half. She's awesome. If you haven't seen her, um, she will make your day. Uh, the other night, it was supposed to be bedtime, and there were ants in her room. You know, I don't know how they got there. I don't know why they were there. But uh, 9.30 at night, her and I are in the ant extermination team, and we're working on it. Daddy, I want to help you. Daddy, I want to help you. So we're outside, it's pitch black, she's holding my iPhone up with the flashlight, I got her in my arm and the bug spray in the other, and we got the ants. And so, laying down, trying to get her to bed, and she looks up, she goes, Daddy, we killed the otters. I was like, no, 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 we did not kill any otters, guys, no otters, ants. Someone's going to call PETA on me here, and I'm going to be in big trouble. um, Just a little snapshot into my world. This is my family and my life. We'll talk about significance and influence here in a minute. Um, Did you know that every one of you has the capacity to be a leader? Because leadership is influence. And every one of you has influence. Someone looks up to you someplace. You may not like it. (laughs) You may not recognize it. But you are an influential person. The gospel of Jesus tells us what we do with influence, informs us that there is a different way that we are to take the power, the influence that God has, and use it to bless and serve other people, versus the way the world tells you, gain influence for yourself. Two different stories. We'll look at someone who gains influence today, the story of Joseph, and uses that influence for the good of other people. But you all have a significant role to play in life. Today, not someday in the future, not tomorrow when, you know, you graduate, whatever it is. Some of you just graduated eighth grade or in high school. Some of you are graduating high school and are uh, going off to college. Some of you have graduated college and never left youth group. And that's a whole nother conversation and message, and we could talk about that later. But that next step doesn't mean you are significant. You have significance today. Don't forget that. So, as a dad, I carry influence and, um, over my daughter. And one of the things that I try to do to um, use that influence for good is just to be in her life, right? To be present, to show up. One of the ways I do that is I watch the same Disney movies over and over and over and over again. And uh, there's this one particular Disney movie that has um, some lyrics to a song I want to read to you to start my message today. And hopefully you'll pick up on the song, or the movie and what it is. But here it is. Sometimes the world seems against you. The journey may leave a scar, but the scars can heal and reveal just where you are. Some of you are like, I know this one. I got it. I got it. I got it. Right? 
The things, the people you love will change you, the things you have learned will guide you, and nothing on earth can silence the quiet voice still inside you. And when that voice starts to whisper, anyone? Moana, you've come so far. Moana, listen, do you know who you are? (laughs) It's good, right? It's good. Anyone seen Moana? Can I see your hands here? All right. There's like 30 or 40 people that have seen Moana. I've seen it more times than you, I promise. All right, so Moana answers the question, right? So, so Moana is going to answer the question that her grandma singing to her is asking. And she says, I am the girl who loves my island and the girl who loves the sea. It calls me. I'm the daughter of the village chief. We're descendants from voyagers who found their way across the world and they call me. I've delivered us to where we are. I've journeyed farther. I'm everything I've learned and more and still it calls me. And the call isn't out there at all. It's inside of me. It's like the tide always falling and rising. I will carry you in my heart. You'll remind me that come what may, I know the way. I am a wanna, right? So good. So good. It gives me chills every time. So, so good. Yes. I'm going on 30 and I love Disney. All right. So here's the deal. Moana had a dream. It was to explore the ocean. Right? She had a purpose. She pursued her dream. She faced insurmountable odds. She was discouraged. She felt abandoned. She felt forgotten. She developed who she was, her character and her trials. And she discovered something about that dream, that it wasn't about her. Ultimately, it was about how she could give her life to save others. Boom, what does that sound like? The gospel. The gospel in Moana. (laughs) But seriously, sometimes we communicate this idea that you should hide away from the culture. And I would just want to challenge you to see that the greatest story ever told can be found in any story. And so here we see a story today that many of us know in this funny little Disney movie. Paralleled in an ancient biblical story, the story of Joseph. So what I want to do is I want to look at Joseph's story in 10 minutes. We're going to cover like... 30 chapters of the Bible. So I hope you came ready. Um, We'll read the whole thing straight through. We'll be here until tomorrow. No, but seriously, we're going to look at... (laughs) Some of you are like, I've said in a message of his before. I know. We will be here till tomorrow. We're going to look at just parts of Joseph's story. Because together it tells a bigger story. And I want you to see yourself in this story. Right? I want to challenge you to not just listen to a message, but to go back in time and to, and to feel what Joseph is feeling, to experience what he is experiencing. I've always tell people that you get out of life what you put into it. Jesus said, um, what you sow, you will reap. So you can show up here week after week, and you can listen to Jeff and whomever, and not really listen, and you're not really going to get anything out of it. Right? But if you engage, get pulled in, study the scriptures, read, pray. There is something to be reaped from it. So my encouragement for you is go on the journey with me this morning. Um, We're going on the Jungle Cruise at Disneyland. Let's just keep the Disney theme going here, right? We're going to look at snapshots of his story, zoom out in the process, see some things about Jesus, worship, and we'll be done. So Genesis 37, as I promised you, if you have your Bibles, let's go. 
37 verse 2. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives, which that's a whole other sermon, but we'll get there someday. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made ornate robes for him because his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them. They hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. I have a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field. And then when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Hey, so we're introduced to this character. His name was Joseph, and he's 17 years old. Anyone 17 in here? Good. I like it. Um, Some of you are going to be 17, right? Soon? Someday? Are we awake? Are we okay? It's like noon. I hope you're awake. Hey, the Bible is not just a story about a bunch of old people with beards. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. The Bible isn't just a story about a bunch of old people. This is a story about a young man who is like in high school. Think of somebody in your class. Think of your, he's, he's like in your world when God gives him a dream. This is a dream about greatness, about power, about influence. He's one of the youngest of his brothers, and guess what? They're all bowing down to him. I'm not talking about the kind of dream like the nightmare, like the one I had last night where someone was chasing me around my house trying to get me, right? Like, not that. (laughs) You're like, no wonder he doesn't make any sense. He didn't sleep. No, not that kind of dream. The kind of dreams about your future. Right, so here Joseph receives a dream about his future. We learn some things also about Joseph, that he's a tattletale. <laughs> right? He's that mommy and daddy's pet, right? the favorite amongst his family. We learn some things about Joseph that his character and his calling don't match up yet. We see that God gives him this dream of greatness, and he immediately, his character is revealed as a tattletale, as someone who's trying to tell his brothers how great he is and how low they are. And so we see this introduction to this this character in an interesting way, but we can relate. Like one of the things that we have to fight is this temptation to think that God will only speak to you or use you if you're perfect. You have it all together, or you didn't sin yesterday, or you're on a good track for like a month, and so God can use you now, right? Um... Joseph's story is different than that. God speaks to him amidst his immaturity, amidst his his lack of understanding even of what God wants to do in his life. And so, his story continues here, and we'll fast forward this, but Joseph, verse 12, Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem, 
Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring them back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, uh, a man found wandering around the fields and asked, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They've moved up from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers, and he found them near Dothan. But they saw him in a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to one another. Come now, let's kill him. (laughs) Wow, that was like zero to 60 pretty fast, right? Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. And say that the ferocious animals devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So they create this elaborate scheme. Fast forward. Um, they sell him into slavery. And it says in verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of his Pharaoh's officials, and the captain of the guard. So think of it this way. You get a dream from God that you're going to do something absolutely great with your life. Now... Maybe I'm crazy, but I would imagine that I'm like climbing the ladder to greatness. Every day gets better. Each step of the way, I'm getting promoted until I'm on top of the world, right? That's how I would think. If, if I'm going to be used for some great thing, that I'm just going to get better and better and more positions and more power, and I'm going to accumulate it until I'm the strongest there is. Climbing the ladder, right? Joseph's story to greatness starts with him getting thrown, beaten, dragged, betrayed by his brothers into an empty sewer, and then sold into slavery. So you would, it's counterintuitive. You would think here that he's moving towards great things, he's got this great calling on his life, and then boom! Discouragement, disappointment, he's abandoned, he's forgotten. God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of my struggle now? I thought you said this. I thought you gave me this dream. I thought, and now, here I am. This is Joseph's story. So as we see Joseph, as you fast forward, his story continues. Joseph goes from um, the favored son called to greatness to slavery. And in slavery, um, what we see about Joseph here, well, we'll go there. Um, turn to turn the page, Genesis 39 in your Bibles. In slavery, Joseph is sold to Potiphar, as we already read. Potiphar was one of the most powerful men in the world. So now you're like, all right, cool. So maybe this is how God is going to use me. He's going to take me out of this pit that I was in. He's going to position me next to one of the most powerful people in the world. And that's how I'm going to achieve greatness. Right? Do we ever do this? We try to fill in the blanks of what's happened in our life and our story and make sense of it. I would envision that if I was Joseph, that's what I would be thinking. So here's what happens once he gets there. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was, this is chapter 39, verse 1. One of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, uh, brought him from the Ishmi- bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. 
Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From that time, he put him in charge of his household, and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though, we spoke, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be near her. So interesting story. Joseph, handsome, well-built, at this time probably somewhere 19 to early 20s, coming into his own, advancing in his master's house, sort of in charge of all the affairs, has a good job, stable. People look up to him. He has leadership, influence. He's using it for the right reasons. And remember I said he works for one of the most powerful people in the world, right? So, so this guy probably has a pretty good-looking wife. <laughs> and the pretty good-looking wife says what? Come to bed with me. Now, one of the things that could have happened is it's not just that there could have been infidelity, not just that Joseph could have slept with this really beautiful woman, but by doing so could have taken that position of power that Potiphar held from him usurped the family, now taken the calling of greatness into his own hands. The temptation is bigger here than just to have, um, to have an affair. The temptation is to gain power. And yet he turns it down. You know the story. Um, Potiphar's wife has this an elaborate scheme to get him in bed with her, and she, he runs away, right? He's, he completely flees the situation. Well, Potiphar's wife, probably embarrassed, full of shame, you fill in the blank, has false accusations, and Potiphar gets ticked. Potiphar throws Joseph in prison. And again, here you have the same thing happen. From a position of strength and power and influence to a prison. So the story isn't working out, right? You'd be disappointed. I'm disappointed. He should be on the trajectory to greatness. And where is he? He's in prison. And so in prison is where he meets two of Pharaoh's officials. Now, Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world at the time. And his two officials, they were in prison because of, they were accused of some things. And they had dreams. And Joseph knows a thing or two about dreams. And so Joseph interprets the dreams. And he says, one of you will be um, restored to your position, and the other one of you is going to lose your life. And sure enough, both of those things happen. And the one who was restored to his position, Joseph said, don't forget about me when you're right next to Pharaoh again. Don't forget about me. Right? Because I'm in here. I've been falsely accused. This isn't where I'm supposed to be. Don't forget about me. Okay, I got you, Joe. I got you, man. I won't forget about you. Sure enough, four years go by, and guess what? He was forgotten. Again. Joseph was forgotten. Would you, can you imagine that feeling? There you are, thinking this is your moment. 
Maybe tomorrow I'll get out. Maybe the next day. Maybe the next day. I was, in, I was here. It was unjust. I shouldn't be here. Where are you, God? Right? Wouldn't that be the question that you would think? I've been forgotten. So, Joseph's story does not end there. Pharaoh has a dream. The most powerful man in the world. And no one can tell him what it means. And that's when Pharaoh's official goes, Ah, oh, I forgot. There's this dude named Joseph. <laughs> I think he can tell you what it means. So Joseph arrives on the scene. He goes from prison to the palace overnight. He goes from this low position, right smack dab in front of the most powerful man in the world. And he says, Pharaoh, this is what your dream means. This is what you need to do about it. And Pharaoh goes, all right, you're hired. And you would think even at that moment, Joseph would say, oh, this is finally it. It's all come together. Greatness right here. Second in command of all of Egypt now. I'm one of the most powerful people in the world. And yet, that still isn't it. So one of the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream was this. And stick with me. Just for a few more minutes. I know it's heady and heavy and it's just a bunch of history and stories. Just stick with me. Relevance will, will come, I promise. Um, and if it doesn't come, well, I won't be back next week, so you're, you're good. But <laughs> stick with me. So the dream here um, was that seven years of famine were going to come to Egypt. And it was going to be so bad. Now, get this. There was actually a day when you didn't get your food at the grocery store. I know, crazy. You actually had to grow it <laughs> from the ground. So famine meant what? No food. Okay? But before the seven years of famine, there was going to be seven years of plenty. Where things were going to come, there was going to be five times the amount of food that you needed. And what Joseph said is we have to store up in those years of plenty for the years of few. And so seven years go by now. Joseph is in his 30s. Right? Remember, dream at 17. A lot of life has happened. Realization of his dream where his brothers are bowing down to him. It hasn't come yet. Right? He's seen things, but he hasn't seen what God has called him to do. So we fast forward on to his story. About 34 years old, about 17 years have gone by. The years of plenty have gone by. The years of famine are here. And that's where we pick up the story in uh, chapter 42. Verse 6, turn there. This is the point in my message where we are about to land the plane. So stick with me. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. And when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger, and he spoke harshly to them. Where did you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And then he remembered his dreams about them. Something stuck with Joe for 17 years. And it was a dream that God put on his heart. He didn't forget it. And all of a sudden, he remembers it. In this moment where his family is now in crisis and they're coming to him for help, these are the same people who beat him, 
who sold them into slavery and lied that he was really dead. Okay? Now they're coming to him for help. Now they're bowing, and he remembers the story. The cool part about this is that where there's famine in the land, all of a sudden there was abundance of forgiveness found. The story continues, and Joseph is reconciled to his family. And he, he comes to this realization in chapter 45. Verse 1, Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there is no one uh, with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they did, he had done so. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And he goes on to tell them about the famine and whatnot. So here's what I want to put in front of you. It's very simple as this, is that God wants to speak to you about your future. Last Tuesday night, we had a prayer gathering and a bunch of us prayed over you. And we prayed this very story. That like Joseph at 17, God would give you a dream. Something that would be enough to hold on to. To carry on for your years to come. There's more to life than friends. More to life than popularity. More to life than you fill in the blank. And God wants that more for you. He wants you to hold on to that. You may not be ready to receive it in its full. And don't worry, Joseph wasn't either. But God has something for you. Discover it. Serve. Get involved. Show up. Be present. I grew up in the church and I never had a single person in a youth group or a youth leader ever have a conversation with me. Not once. I'd wish one of you came to me. It would have saved me a lot of pain and heartache. Step in. Be involved. Don't have to have all the, you know, everything figured out right off the bat. Joseph was faithful where he was. Be faithful where you are today. Now, it's cool is because Joseph's story doesn't end there. In fact, Joseph's story lives on beyond his um, death. The very end of Genesis, in verse uh, 24, chapter 50, verse 24. Because God wants to do something in your life that lasts longer than your life. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and he will take you up out of this land as he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and you must carry my bones up from this place. 400 years later in Exodus chapter 14, Moses carries Joseph's bones out of Egypt. 1,700 years later, the author of Hebrews is talking about Joseph's bones. And he's talking about how his faith, his trust in the God who provides. <laughs> he looks at Joseph's story 
he marvels, the author of Hebrews, marvels at a life lived trusting God and never even getting to fully experience the thing that God had for him. 2,000 years later, I'm talking about Joseph's story. What's my point? God doesn't only just have a dream for you, for you. Like Moana, this dream is bigger. It's greater than anything you could fathom or imagine. It looks like Jesus. How do I give my life for the good of those around me? And 2,000 years later, from the author of Hebrews, 1,700 years later, from the story of Moses, 400 years removed from the story of Joseph, we're still talking about Joseph. Do you imagine a life built on trust that is still teaching thousands of years after you go. That's Joseph's story. And God wants that to be your story. He wants to invite you into that. So a few thoughts about Jesus. Because everything in the Bible points to Jesus. That's what the Bible says. A few thoughts about Jesus from this story as we close. I don't know if we have time to sing. You said 1230. It's 12:34. I don't know. But you guys can call it. Jesus, thoughts about Jesus from Joseph's story. Jesus is going to work through your mistakes. Jesus will work through your mistakes. I want you to think about this. Joseph's brothers beat, the, beat Joseph and sold him into slavery. Right? Joseph wasn't necessarily the most... Um, upright character when God had called him to something unique and beautiful and yet God still worked through his mistakes and he will still work through yours that's not what defines you your mistakes your success doesn't define you either Jesus is big enough to work through that he'll work through your immaturity you know in Romans 8 we learn that God will work all things to the, to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Joseph's story is a microcosm, a small picture of that bigger truth. That everything you've done to this point, God still wants to use for your good. Even your failures, even your mistakes, your blunders. Because he's got something for you. Jesus imparts grace to you. And he asks you to do the same to others. It's hard, I know. It's a concept of forgiveness. The word grace literally means I'm giving you something you don't deserve. And this idea that you have once received the grace, forgiveness of God, would you be willing to extend that to your classmates, to your peers, to those that you looked up to at one point, to family, to friends? We recognize from Joseph's story that he received the grace of God amidst his whole crazy journey so that when his brothers came to him and he had every right to say, forget you guys, you threw me in an empty well. Instead, he extended his arms in forgiveness and grace. We learn that trusting Jesus won't disappoint and that time will never be wasted. To get to the fulfillment of the dream, in Joseph's life, he had to learn to be faithful. I know that thinking about waiting another 17 years when you're like 15 years old sounds like forever. I'm telling you it goes by pretty quick. 
be faithful today. God's faithful to carry out the thing that he's put in your heart. And that he wants to give you a legacy and a heritage that goes long beyond your life. He wants your story to tell a story. And it's not just about you. It's about what you've done, what Jesus has done to love and serve others, and how your life is a reflection of that. So would you pray with me as we close? I was always taught as a kid, bow your heads and close your eyes. Um, Not because you have to, but just because you can focus. (laughs) You know, you've got notifications blowing up your phone all day long. As I've been standing up here, i got like eight phone calls. I get it. But if you just take a moment to close your eyes and take a moment to bow your head, just a posture of reverence, really more than anything, We serve a God who wants to impart a word to each and every one of you. I don't know what you're facing. I remember what my years in high school were like. They were tough. My uh, season out of high school, that 18, 19, 20, was some of the most painful years of my life. I get it. There's also the moments of deep pain where I thought, God, you've forgotten me. God, I thought that you had something for me and here I am at the bottom of an empty cistern. Here I am. I thought I was supposed to be in the palace and I'm in prison. God, what is the deal? And I just want you to hear, be faithful, be patient. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And my prayer is this, that God would speak to you right now. You're here. You showed up. May God speak to you, impart grace to you. So Jesus, be with us. We desperately need you. God, we don't even know how much we do. My prayer for these young people is that they would walk in boldness and confidence in the person that you've called them to be. God, that this would be a generation that is willing to be the kind of people that will live their life for you, even if it means they never see the end goal of that even if it means they never fully see the promise fulfilled in their lifetime, but they would be a people willing to long and yearn for a work of your spirit in our land, to heal the brokenness around us. Jesus, I pray for this group of people. I look up to these young people in so many ways because they face so many challenges that I didn't and won't, but I believe you have something great for them. So Holy Spirit, fall fresh on this community. Do something uniquely here at this time in this place of our church family. We need it. We need their voice. We need their involvement. So God, would you raise this generation up to do great things? Lord, we love you. We're here today for you. God, break down walls that divide us. We thank you, Jesus, that you're going to use everything of our story to point to you but to heal. God, we love you. We need you. We ask things in your name. Amen.